Welcome to Transformation. This is farm broadcaster Don Wick with the latest edition in our podcast series. Transformation is made possible through a partnership by the Red River Farm Network, Linder Farm Network, and the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. And special thanks to the Minnesota Farm Bureau Foundation for their support of this project. We may think of opioid addiction as something that you see just in the metro area, but Ruth Merrick is with us. She's the director of the Minnesota Farm Bureau Foundation. And Ruth, you've done a lot of work in this area. What, what is the impact in the rural areas? You know, you are right, Don, is that a lot of people think that this is a big city problem. And statistically, and research, research has shown us that it impacts our rural communities at greater numbers than our, our urban populations. And Minnesota is no exception. Um, you know, there's information that was just released or on the Minnesota Opiate Dashboard that, that we really parallel in our rural communities the opiate addiction rates and fatalities of the metro area. And I don't think we talk about it, and I don't think people know that it's happening because it is kind of a closed-door issue. Um, but we need to be talking about how uh, opiate misuse and, and uh, drug misuse is actually happening in our rural community. Explain to me what is an opioid. Just give me an example. Yep. So opiates are uh, prescription medicines that are prescribed by our physicians, and, and uh, a lot of people are not really sure what is an opiate and what is not an opiate. And common opiates are coedine, fentanyl, um, Vicodin, morphine, oxycodone, uh, and a lot of times those are the types of medicines that are prescribed for, for pain, um, sometimes other things as well. But you think of farms and farmers and getting injuries that, you know, sometimes are, are you know, like sprained ankles and twisted knees. And oftentimes these are prescribed for that kind of pain relief, lower back. So, um, and I think it's important to also know is that opiates and you know, I, I want to clarify, I am not a physician. I am not from, a, you know, academia, the, you know, the background. Uh, I, I know what I know from what I've learned from other people. But my understanding is, is that opiates react to the, the, the reactors, opiate reactors in, within your brain. So it gives you different rushes of dopamine which gives you that really good feeling, too, as well as, well as the pain relief. So um, that's why they're so addictive, uh, and I think people need to understand. So they react differently in our brains than other painkillers. That's what makes them addictive. I think we think it's a, a prescription medicine, so, you know, it's, it's not a problem. And it's not something that we're going to get addicted to. Right. You know, there are painkillers out there that are available that are not. I think it's, it's a good thing to talk to your physicians about when you are um, getting a, a prescription for some pain relief or, or something. It's to specifically ask, you know, is this an opiate? You know, what does this mean? Is there an alternative to this uh, prescription medicine um, that is, you know, not an opiate? What I find out in when I talk to pharmacists around the state or, or doctors is that Oftentimes, patients just don't ask a lot of questions about their medicines. They believe, you know, they believe in the doctors, which, right, they're highly educated. They, they want to, to provide us the best. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't know our own bodies or how we're going to react to something. So it's okay to ask questions, not just from your doctors, but even ask your pharmacist, you know, do I need 10 tablets? Can I get by with five? And, you know, it, that's okay. We can ask those questions and we can ask for alternatives. Are there warning signs that we can see if someone is, is misusing these uh, medicines? Yes, uh, that's a great, uh, great question, Don. 
uh, with the common signs of opiate um, addictions, we will, we will see behavioral changes, um, physical changes. Um, people can become more drowsy or distant, just detached. We see people that have problems with their memory and relationships, obligations where they say they're going to do something, then they don't do it anymore. I think one of the things, too, and Minnesota's tried to help um, educate people on this as well, is just are there strange things showing up? Is there odd items or drug paraphernalia that, you know, you might find hidden somewhere, like wonder what the heck this is? And then I think the other thing is, too, is that if there's somebody who has been taking an opiate, what are they like when they stop taking that drug? Is there are there maybe some withdrawal symptoms, and they could be really minor, but that should be concerning to people as well. And I think it's important that they keep their eyes open to those types of things. And, you know, we don't think of that. Like, we don't, you know, my daughter has her wisdom teeth out. She gets a, a prescription to, you know, take care of the pain. When her prescription's out, how is she responding following taking that opiate prescription? I think that it's important for people to understand, too, because I don't think people know this as well, and this is staggering to me, is that an opiate addiction with an opiate, prescribed opiate, can start within three days. Three days of taking, you know, a prescription, you could become addicted to that pain med. And I think that's important because a lot of people think, oh, that's not going to happen. That's something that, it, you know, happens when it's prolonged, you know, using a drug for a long time. Not with opiates. It's it's that brain and that body saying, I need this. And, it, you know, like I talked about, that dopamine rush is that it can happen really quickly. Not everybody will have that same, but it is something we talk about. And we do want people to be very, very aware of how quickly an addiction can happen. But with that, I think the most common signs, the ones that we're going to see the most, we know our loved ones and our families the best, is watch for those behavior changes and those physical changes. Um, they just stop taking care of themselves. They start um, stop showing up to, you know, I work for a farm bureau, so I'm going to say they're just going to stop farm uh, coming to farm bureau meetings and they just don't care. And oftentimes, some of these same common signs are the same common signs that we see with mental health as well. So. We talk about the parallels, and oftentimes drug addiction and mental health walk very much hand in hand. And with everybody I've talked to about this um, that are kind of in the field, they say, absolutely. Sometimes the opiate prescriptions, they start taking opiates to just feel better, you know, that they're dealing and they're struggling um, with some mental health issues. So they might start abusing some opiates because of that dopamine rush and because of that really good feeling it makes our bodies, how it makes our body feel. One of the other things, and this comes with drug abuse that kind of happens for over a time, is that they will, another sign, and it's for like doctor shopping, where they're ju- they're jumping around and trying to get prescriptions. So uh, we have the registry in, in, in Minnesota, which seems to be working quite well. And, you know, when that first came out, like we did see those, those, those uh, addiction rates and fatality rates in Minnesota drop down. Um, but then we had this little thing happen, which was a national pandemic, and, and we've seen kind of those those rates really skyrocket again. So we came down, there was a lot of hope, but then, you know, we hit with a national pandemic, so we're seeing the numbers go up. But um, when those numbers go up, I think it's important to be really, really careful. You know, if you're a, a pharmacist or a doctor or you're seeing in medicine cabinets or around um, prescriptions from multiple pharmacies. If you have a concern about a loved one and possible misuse, how do you have that conversation? It's, it's certainly not a, an easy conversation to have. 
It's not. And I think, you know, we talk about stigma. We don't always like to use the word stigma because sometimes that just gives a, a negative connotation too to um, a disease, which addiction's a disease. It's, it's just one of those conversations you have to have. Like with mental health, you have to ask very directly um, if someone is thinking about death by suicide. With, with addiction, you need to be very direct. They will still try to hide it. They will still try to avoid the conversation. But, you know, interventions do work. Having conversations that are really, really tough do work. There was a national um, survey done by the American Farm Bureau and uh, Farmers Union, and, you know, it was surprising that a lot of farm families and people from rural communities do feel that um, it is a disease. It isn't something that the individual can just manage on their own. And that's true is that, that there has to be help given. And the challenges in our rural communities is that oftentimes help is kind of far away and it's not real close to us. And, and when we think on a national level, when there's addiction rates or addictions that happen in, in farm families is that they might have to drive two and three hours to get to a recovery center or if they have to show up and test, you know, if they've gotten in trouble or, or they're trying to deal and they're trying to make sure that there's not medicines in in the system in their system is that that the availability to get that help is often too far away and we want to we want to work to trying to make that better as well we have to take time to care for ourselves and our in our bodies and you know if we are struggling with addiction or we know someone who is we have to allow them the time to heal and care for themselves with farm families, that can be really, really tough because we have responsibilities on the farm. We're milking cows. We have hay. We have this narrow window of time. You know, um, you know, this spring was no exception that, you know, we're working from excessive moisture to a short period that we can plant our crops. And, you know, they just aren't going to take two hours or three hours to get away to get help. And we have to think of ourselves and our families first. And sometimes that can be a real challenge and a struggle. One of the things that I think is an important thing for us to realize is that the survey that I talked about, that 74% of farmers and farm workers said they have been directly impacted by the opiate epidemic. So three out of four farmers and farm workers, that's a staggering statistic. But what's even more staggering or alarming to me, Don, is the fact that three out of four farmers say it's easy for them to access large amounts of opiates. So opiates and numbers without a prescription. And I think that's another thing that as farm families and people, um, moms and dads, is that we have a tendency, and I, I am one too, I, I did this as well, that we're not really sure what to do with unused prescriptions. So we throw them up in the medicine cabinet and then we just leave them there. We know we're not supposed to flush them down the toilet. We're, we know we're not supposed to, you know, dump them down the drain, which I will say don't do that. But what do we do with them? So what happens is that people will self-prescribe because they know they have it in their medicine cabinet. I'm just going to you know, talk very analytically is that uh, I'll use this analogy is that say my daughter has uh, her wisdom teeth out and she's prescribed an opiate prescription for uh, the, the, that removal of her wisdom teeth. She used, takes maybe half her prescription and says she doesn't need it. She doesn't like how it makes her feel. And, I, you know, I go outside and I jump over the fence and I, I sprain my ankle and I'm in a lot of pain. But I know I got to go do something and have it done by the end of the day. So 
Tylenol's not helping my pain. Advil's not helping my pain. What I have, so then what do I do? I might reach for the oxycodone that might be in the medicine cabinet. And when that took care of the pain and I got my work done, but then three hours later I'm starting to feel crappy again, I might go take another one. And it isn't done with ill intent. And sometimes I've had this happen to myself, so I use myself as an example. And I'll use myself as an example at Farm Fest, biggest farm, you know, our Farm Fest farm show, is that I lift heavy roasters all day long. And after the farm show, my back hurt, just terrible that I could hardly move. My back hurt so bad. You know, I was I was having dinner, and the person next to me said to me, I have a Vicodin, Ruth. Would you like it? I didn't take it. <laughs> but it wasn't given or said or offered to me in the desire to, hey, here's a prescription opiate, and, you know, hey, I'm going to get, you know, it was given to me as, as a gesture of help. I think a lot of people out there have had similar, I know I'm not alone in this. When I talk about it, you know, people nod their heads like, yeah, you know, well, somebody's offered me one when I've been in pain. Sometimes I think as people who care about our families is that that prescription opiate may be that temptation. It's like, okay, I know you're in a lot of pain. Just take this to get through until we can whatever. When we talk about being able to access large amounts of opiates, that's the kind of things that happen. Don, I, I share this story, too. When I started to talk about this all over Minnesota, I thought, I'm going to go through my medicine cabinet, and I'm going to see what I got here, and I'm going to get rid of all this unused prescription meds. Now, my other half had a heart attack, so I had a lot of it. My daughter had her wisdom teeth out. I had two bottles of liquid um, morphine in my house. I had fentanyl patches from a cracked sternum from um, my other half's heart attack when they went to do CPR on him. I was alarmed of all of the opiates and, and painkillers that I had in my house. I had them in my linen closet in a little Tupperware tote. I had them in my nightstand in my bathroom. I had them in my a kitchen cabinet. And not only the, the prescription medicines that I would take, the prescription medicines for our cats and our dogs and our animals. Another thing that I've heard when I go out to talk about this is that people are injuring their farm animals so they can go into the vet's office and get a painkiller that they have no, um, you know, that they are absolutely not going to use on their farm animal, but they're going to take themselves. So not only is it important for our physicians and our, our pharmacists to know about addictions and the crisis in our rural communities, also our veterinarians and our people who work with animal health. It's this crazy pile of spaghetti is how sometimes I describe it is that we have all of these pieces that are kind of like all piled up as in a big blob of spaghetti on our plate. And all of it is, is tangled and it's messy and there's a lot of parts to it. But it's all really important that we kind of work together and solve these, this issue together and have conversations it's important for us to bring together not only farm families, but the veterinarians, the people in the healthcare field. I use this as an example uh, that I know a person who took their own life by death by suicide. And when uh, the family member went to the mailbox to pick up the mail, the mail had piled up and piled up and piled up in the mailbox. There was never a call to the family, you know, a well-being check. 
And those, you know, like, so the, the male carriers are important because, like I said, it's that big pile of spaghetti, mental health and, and addiction and all the people involved all play a role in this crazy, messy thing. You mentioned we all have some of those uh, prescription meds that are still in that cupboard that we probably should be getting rid of. How do we handle that? What's, what is the, the way to, to take care of those there, prescriptions? Th- thank you. And I think, if anything, this is something that's very, very key. Uh, the Department of Health, and I, I just want to read this, this drug overdose is preventable. Substance use disorder is treatable, preventable, and recovery is possible. And I I pull out preventable out of that statement, you know, disorder is treatable and preventable and and recovery is possible because we can play a role in preventing drug overdose. Every person can play a role. And that's by just doing one thing, and that's disposing of unused prescriptions. So ways that we can do that is uh, two times a year, uh, the DEA hosts National Take Back Day. Take Back Day is a great, a great program, and it always happens at the end of April, and it happens in October. I have one issue with National Take Back Day, and I do know that National Take Back Day works, that when I go out to talk to my farm families and my people in my rural communities, having a National Take Back Day on April 25th and October 25th does not work for my rural farm families. Why? I think we all can answer that question. It's two of the two busiest months for farm families across Minnesota. And I'll tell you what, they're worrying about putting their crops in and taking their crops out. They're not worrying about taking unused prescriptions through drive-through drop-off. So I am on a mission with the DEA in Washington, D.C. to add one more day to National Take Back Day that might make it a little and really put an emphasis and focus on rural farm families and rural farming communities. I don't know if that will ever happen, Don, but if it does, it's going to be a feather in my hat. But what we can do is that you can take unused prescriptions back anytime to your local sheriff's office. Many of them have Dropbox offices that you can just take and dispose of those unused medicines. There's also uh, Dropbox boxes in several pharmacies, or you could ask your pharmacist about them. Do not take them back to the pharmacy and hand to your pharmacist. Do not take them back to your doctor's office because they can't take them back. You have to take them back to a place that will eventually incinerate those uh, prescription meds. What we can do that's really, really easy is that there are um, disposal kits. And the Minnesota Farm Bureau has worked with the RX uh, Abuse Leadership Initiative into the state of Minnesota. We're a partner in a program to bring awareness and resources to farm families across Minnesota. They've been an outstanding partner. And we've been able to provide take-home disposal kits, Dedera drug packets. And if anybody wants one, they can reach out to the Minnesota Farm Bureau and we'll mail you one at no charge. But what this packet is, is it's a charcoal-based disposal kit. So you can actually pour your tablets in. Actually, you can pour tablets, liquids, or patches into this little disposal kit. You know, we know charcoal filters. So basically what it does is it actually neutralizes the opiate in the disposal kit. And then uh, it is 100%, well, I should say 99% biodegradable. You can actually throw this away in your garbage. You know, I, I say sometimes I should work for the company because I believe in it so much. But we've given out, I think, 50,000 of these kits across Minnesota. And, and what that tells us, uh, research shows us that 96% of these kits are used within the first three days of somebody receiving them. So what that tells us is that we've taken, been able to take off out of medicine cabinets a half a million pills across the state of Minnesota. Half a million pills is a half a million pills. And you think of prescri- prescriptions and how many 
pills are out there. There's a lot of them. But we do pride ourselves that it is an effective tool to get unused prescriptions, and we do have people using them, and we're happy to provide that resource to anybody who would like one. If they just reach out to the Minnesota Farm Bureau, like I said, we will mail them out. We provide them free of charge too, Don. When I think of Farm Bureau and other farm organizations, uh, farm safety has always been a standard. We talk about bin safety or tractor rollovers, those kind of things. But this is a, a whole different avenue, but obviously very important to our to our members. It is. And it, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Don, because I always pre- start my presentations and I get emotional sometimes talking about it. And I think it's because many of us have this have had some impact, whether it be mental health or prescription misuse, is that never did I dream When I started working in Farm Bureau 25 years ago, when I got to talk about farm safety and farmer wellness, that I would ever think that I would be talking about suicides and addictions. And of any of what I do now, I probably spend the most time in those two areas when it comes to farm safety. Honestly, it should be a priority. It should be something that we're all talking about and having conversations about Don't let a scary topic keep us from having normal conversations. Uh, We've seen mental health and, uh, you know, suicide rates within our farm families reduce. You know, we've seen those numbers kind of come down a little. The fact that Minnesota Department of Ag, the programs that you're doing, we're cracking that egg open and we're having those good conversations and digesting the information and that it's okay to talk about it. And I think from mental health to addiction, it's okay to talk about it. This impacts a lot of people. You know, I, I I told you that earlier statistic that three out of four farmers have been impacted by the by drug addiction or opiates, and whether that be through a cousin or a farm worker or a, a close family member, is that it does have impacts. We've all had an experience in some capacity. I had a family member who was was an an addict. And when he was arrested and put in jail, I saved the letters that he wrote me, Don. And it was important for me to stay in touch with him. And in those letters was just this considerable guilt that he had for feeling like he let us down. Well, he never let us down. The only thing he let us down on was the fact that he didn't feel comfortable enough to come to us and talk to us about it. We can prevent that. We can have conversations with people so they never feel that guilt of letting us down because I'll love my children no matter what. And I think farm families are like that, that we'll go to great lengths to protect and care for our families. So if that's true and we want to do that, then let's have some really tough conversations with them too. I think in closing, Don, is that you are 100% right. We need to normalize the conversation. I think we need to also continue to engage in any type of education that can help us uh, share our stories as, as professionals that are out talking about it. And as, you know, I think of myself as a mom to just know that there are resources available to us to help. And if you need help finding the help, uh, we are here for you. And the Department of uh, Minnesota Department of Ag has wonderful resources. The Minnesota Farm Bureau has wonderful resources. Through my conversations that I've had going out and having, doing presentations is that I've armed myself with local resources, resources that are available to help. Sometimes the hardest part is putting the puzzle together and finding the pieces that fit just right 
so that we can kind of look at the big picture. We all are at the table engaging in conversations and in partnerships that help us tell the story we need to tell, and that's the story of keeping families safe and healthy. Ruth Merrick from the Minnesota Farm Bureau Foundation, the Farm Bureau Foundation, along with Central Initiative Fund and the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, uh, supporters of this transformation effort. Very much appreciated. If you want more information on this topic of opioid uh, misuse, addiction, you can find it at farmtownstrong.org. Reminder, you can hear all of our transformation podcasts online at rrfn.com forward slash transformation, or you can go to the podcast tab at linderfarmnetwork.com. As always, we remind you that help is available if you're dealing with a stressful situation. There's the Minnesota Farm and Rural Helpline, which is free, confidential, and available 24-7. All calls are answered by trained counselors. That helpline number is 833-600-2670. Or you can text 898211. Information is also available at minnesotafarmstress.com. Until next time, I'm Don Wick.